Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I want to thank you for making Go to Corner Church a part of your Labor Day weekend plans. It means the world to me that you're here. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I'm currently sharing a sermon, a series of sermons based on the life of David. However, today I'm not going to mention David very much at all. I like to think of the next two sermons as a parenthetical thought. For those of you that don't know, that's preacher code for running rabbits. Now Mark knew that immediately. He's going to run rabbits for a couple of Sundays. No, not really. Uh, I really do believe that these sermons are indeed a, parath- a parenthetical thought. And you say, well, what does that mean? Okay, here it is. A parenthetical thought is a qualifying, explanatory, or a positive word, phrase, clause, or sentence that interrupts a syntactic construction without otherwise affecting it. Having often characteristic annotation and indicated in writing by commas, parentheses, or dashes. Is everybody clear on that? We're good to go? Let me give you the Hodge definition of a, of a parenthetical thought. What I'm going to do is hit the pause button on the David series long enough to explain something that came up in last week's sermon that is far too important for us to overlook. Does that make any sense at all? You got that? To do it, we've got to read some verses together. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 22, verse number 34. Let me set the stage before I read and tell you what's going on. Oftentimes when Jesus was teaching, religious groups would show up. I guess you could say the leaders of certain religious groups. And they didn't come because they had an open mind. They were wanting to learn. They were interested, curious. They came in the hopes that maybe... They could put together just the right question that they could present to Jesus in a public setting so that when he answered, they go, Aha! I told you this guy's a nut. I told you this guy's a fraud. They were looking for some way to discredit him. Now, one group called the Pharisees, they had already tried this once, and it failed. And so then another group came along called the Sadducees, and they were kind of like, You know what? The Pharisees couldn't do. We can do. Jesus, here's a question. Jesus answered it. Really put them to shame. The next thing you know, guys, you're not going to believe this. The Pharisees came back. Now, I don't know if that means they were stubborn or stupid or both. But they're going to try it again. That's where we pick up. Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply... They met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, well, he tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? I just kind of see him step back, stroke his beard, look around the room like, what do you think about that? Can't wait to hear how he answers this one. Jesus said, excuse me, let me turn. Verse 37, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And before anybody could inject anything into the conversation, he said, A second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. 
based on my research this week, apparently there are 1,663 commands in the Bible. Did you get that? 1,600 and 63 commands in the Bible. I don't know what you're thinking. I just thought there were 10, man. I thought there were 10. I'm struggling with the 10, and now you're telling me there's 1,663 commands in the Bible. Somebody else is thinking, I, you're thinking about Old Testament. The Old Testament's full of those thou shalts and thou shalt nots, but over in the New Testament, we're under grace. And the God of the Old Testament, he had these high expectations of us, but now, man, it's just grace. Did you know that 613 of those commands are in the Old Testament? 1,050 are in the New Testament. Which means that even under grace, Jesus obviously has high expectations for his people. So God has given us a list of 1,663 things that we're to do or not to do called commands now that's a pretty extensive list of do's and don'ts having been given that list I bet you I know what's running through your mind Jesus list that long could you at least prioritize them you know and if you if you couldn't prioritize them could you could you simplify them and you know what Jesus did did both In these verses, Jesus prioritized the list. He said, here are the two most important commands. Love God supremely and love others selflessly. And he said, by the way, I'll just make this simple. Obey these two commands. Obey these two commands. And I bet you this. I bet you you'll obey all the other 1,661 commands. Isn't that simple? Thank you, Jesus, for making it simple for a simple man like myself. All we got to do now is obey two commands. Got it? Just two. Easy enough, right? I confess to you last week that I haven't found it to be easy. Now, some of you have been looking at me kind of sideways ever since. Like, I don't know about my preacher. He said, yeah. Uh, No, listen to me. I haven't always found this to be easy. Matter of fact, I don't find this to be easy. Loving God supremely and loving others didn't come naturally to me. In other words, I wasn't just born that way. I don't remember sitting around with a group of other children and saying, Hey, you take my Legos. I'll just play with, I'll just play with the box. Man, you take the Legos. I remember being a Lego hoarder. And some of you are thinking, They had Legos back when you were a kid. Yeah. We called them caterpillars. That's what we used to build stuff with. I don't remember being unselfish as a child. And I, you know, when I was saved, some things changed. When I was saved, I had a greater appreciation for God and the things He had done for me. I actually had a greater appreciation for Christian people. But I can't say that I got up from the altar that morning and just instantly now, now I love God more than, more than anything, more than anyone. And now I love all you people selflessly. It didn't just hit me like a bolt out of the blue. Did you? I bet it didn't. I bet you if you were honest as I'm being honest, you would have to admit that most of your life has been about you primarily. And if I'm right, and loving God and others doesn't come naturally or instantly, what does it take to actually obey these two commands? Let's, let's start with the first one. That's all we're going to have time for this morning. How can we ever get to the point that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? 
How does a human being ever fall so in love with God that they love him more than anyone or anything? Okay, now, I confessed last week, I don't know a lot about this, but I'm going to really apply myself to learn. So I have read, I have studied, I have prayed, I have listened. Man, I've, I've come up with four steps that I believe all of us will have to take. I'm sure there are probably more than this. But here we go. You ready? To love God supremely, number one, we must get to know him. I want you to think about your circle of people whom you love. You could say of them, I, I love them with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love them selflessly. Think about, you know, that's, and then narrow that to one, per, one person in that group that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I really love them. How did you come to love them? I, I tell you what, I'm betting. I'm betting that love is a byproduct of a healthy relationship. You came to love them as you came to know them. I bet you spent time together. I I, I bet as the relationship went along, you began to spend more and more time together. I bet you in the context of this time spent, there were conversations. You talked. You talked about your feelings. You talked about your interest. You talked about, you know, uh, whatever was on your mind. And they listened, and they listened intently, carefully, because it was obvious you mattered to them. But, man, you listened, and they talked. And they shared things with you about themselves, but they also shared affirming, encouraging words with you. They were honest with you. And in the context of those conversations, you came to learn things about them that made you begin to love them. You went from acquaintance to someone you loved. But also in that time spent, you shared experiences together. You did things together. You went places together. You built a reservoir of memories with them. You know, some were good experiences and you laughed and maybe things went nuts. Things got sideways and you end up getting out of a jam. You look back together and you laugh about it. And, and you just you, you share these experiences. Sometimes you shared some bad experiences, some painful experiences. And they walked right beside you and helped you get through it. But as you shared these experiences together, you saw things in them. It made you love them. I believe that if we're going to love God as he wants us to love him, it probably begins here. I think to love God, you first of all got to know God. I did a series of sermons here back at the first year entitled Your Journey, and we learned that when we were, when we were saved, we were reconciled with God. And, and Paul, in the book of Romans, used a phrase. He said, our friendship with God was restored. Greatest opportunity ever extended to a human being was the opportunity to get to know God personally. And we all have that. We can get to know him on a personal basis. He can become more than an acquaintance. We can get to know him as well as we want to know him. And this is what I believe. If you really know him, you're going to really love him. And the better you know him, the more you're going to love him. So how do you go about building that relationship? Mm, It's pretty simple. Spend time with him. 
Just spend time with him. And while you're with him, and I think, I think this, you know, I think, it would, I think it would be good, I think it would be healthy for the relationship if you spent time with him when he's the center of your attention. You're not distracted by anyone or anything else. He's it. And then during these times, we need to have conversations with him. We talk to him. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. We talk to him about our feelings. We talk with him honestly. We talk to him about anything, everything, as long as we want, whenever we want. But also we listen to what he's got to say. That's a conversation. We're not just talking at God. We need to have a conversation with God. At some point or another, you stop talking and you start doing some listening. And one of the primary ways we listen to God is, by, is, of course, by opening up our Bibles and giving God a chance to speak to us. And if you'll do that, I mean, he will make his word personal. But it, it goes beyond just spend, uh, ha, you know, having conversations with him. It also means sharing experiences with him. Yes, God is our Father and, and he's our friend. But he's also our Lord. And sometime or another in these conversations as our Lord, he's going to say, Hey, uh, I want you to do this for me. Go take care of this. And you're probably going to think something like this. Are you kidding me? Now, I mean, now you're joking, right, God? You could not really want me to do that. And you're going to hear him lovingly say, Well, yeah, I do. Sure, I do. Now, if you will muster up enough faith to follow him in obedience and do what he's telling you, guess what he'll do? He'll go with you. And the two of you will share this experience together. And he will help you. And as he's helping you and as he's walking with you through this experience, he will disclose things to you about himself that you never could have seen otherwise. And, as, and he's going to disclose them to you personally. And as he does, guess what? You're going to see things about God that cause you to love God. So I think this is where it all starts to love God supremely. We must get to know God. But number two, we must remember all that God has done for us. Now think back to, about that circle of people whom you love. I bet you there's one of these. I bet there's a person just like this in that circle. They're good to you. They've just always been good to you. You couldn't even put your finger. You don't even know why. But it just seems like Every time you need somebody, boom, they're there. You're going, how did they know? Every time you need a, a, a word of encouragement, boom, they just, seem, they just have the word. They do little things for you, and, and, and they, it really blesses you. And you think to yourself, how could they have known that I needed this at just this point in time? And the fact is, you started putting two and two together, and you realize they think about me. They care about me. That's why they're so good to me. Somebody like that, tell me, guys. Somebody like that, they're easy to love, right? And I bet you there's somebody in your world that you love greatly who is just like that. You love them because they are so good to you. Psalm 18, David wrote it, starts off, he said this, I love God. That's what he said, I love God. And then he continues to write out a very lengthy, a lengthy psalm. Matter of fact, it's 50 verses. And after that opening statement, he just goes through this long list of things that God has done. This is what God has done for me. He did this, he did that, he's doing this. You know, what, you know what, in essence, he's saying, I love God. Let me tell you why. He's been good to me. He's been so good to me. Guys, it's easy to love a good God. 
It's easy to love a God who is good to us. I think it would be a great daily discipline if we would pause long enough every day. I like to do this at the beginning of the day. Look back on yesterday and just try to identify very clearly in what ways did God demonstrate his goodness to me yesterday. How did he show me that he was good to me yesterday? Man, I like to do this on vacation. I like to do this at Thanksgiving. Step back and go, God, I'm just going to sit. I want to sit down and identify all the ways you've been good to me. And I want to tell you why, guys. Listen to me. When we recall his goodness, it makes it easy to love him. First church, I finished up a sermon one morning. There was a young couple standing back waiting to talk to me. Their names were John and Norma. And John and Norma were super people, loved him to death. And John and Norma said, we got to talk to you, Ronnie. We got some bad news and some good news. What do you want first? Well, being the, the negative, pessimistic individual that I am, I said, give me the bad news first. And they said, uh, we're moving. Uh, Norma came into some money. And we were able to buy a farm in Clinton, South Carolina, where her family lives. And said, uh, so we're going to be moving. We won't be attending church anymore. And, uh, and I get to... F- Pursue my dream. I've always wanted to be a farmer. And he said, so there's our bad news. I said, what's the good news? He said, the good news is the farm is 330 acres in size. It's absolutely infested with deer and wild turkeys. And there's seven ponds on the property that are absolutely filled with fish. And you get to use the farm as you want to use it. I said, I'm going to miss you, but what is that address, please? Four years, that place was a sanctuary for me. Those, those were four of the most turbulent years of my life. The church was a booger, man. I, I don't know how to say that in a kind way. It was just a tough place to be. And it was extracting a toll on me. And sometimes the only thing that coming to my mind is run, man, run. Just run. Get away from this for just a little. And you know where I'd run? Straight to that farm. Straight to that farm. And I'd fellowship with God, and I'd forget things on that farm. But boy, come sundown, I'd be looking at God going, I don't know that I can go back. He'd say, yeah, you can. You're going to go off the strength you got today, but you, you can go back. You can do this. After about four wonderful years on that farm, John called me and said, before you go in the woods this afternoon, I need to talk with you. All right? So he said, come up to the shed. He, had this, he built this big elaborate shed, all of his farming equipment's under it. It's all polished. It's all shining. It's beautiful. He said, uh, We've got to sell the farm. We're losing money hand over fist. And I said, you, sh- you, sh- you sure? You know, you got We're sure. He says, as a matter of fact, Norman and I have been talking about something. We don't know why God sent us down here. We've, we've just been so puzzled. Why did you send us out here in the middle of nowhere? And give us this farm that didn't work. And he said, the other night we felt like God answered us. Ronnie said, we gave you the farm. He said, we gave you the, he said, I gave you the farm for Ronnie. Because there were four years Ronnie was going to desperately need a place. So I gave you the place that he could run to. I go, why? He said, no, you listen to me. We know what he said to us. He said, we've given the farm a name. Had to before we could sell it. Had this big new sign up over his shed. You know what it said? Breakaway Farms. 
He said, because this was your place to break away when you needed a place to go. I walked out of that field to hunt that afternoon, and I kept thinking about that. God did what? He gave them the farm and let them pay the taxes and buy the fertilizer and the farm equipment and keep the fields cut. And so I'd have a place to go. I sat that afternoon and cried like a baby. Man, I just I, I kept getting emotional. And I tell you, right before dark, I bowed my I'm sobbing out loud, thinking about how good, what a good God I serve. Lifted up my head, and man, the fields were full of deer. So I took two home with me. That was just icing on the cake, I guess. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's easy to love a good God. And he's good to all of us if we'll stop and count our blessings. Number three, you ready? To love God supremely, we must comprehend his love for us. Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul prayed a prayer for some Christian people. And he told them what he prayed. He said, I'm praying that you'll be able to comprehend God's love for you. And, then, I, you know, I'll just give the Hodge, trans, the Hodge paraphrase. I think he kind of laughed and went, I'm praying it knowing it can never happen. You can't possibly comprehend the love of God because it's just too vast. I think Paul was hoping that at least maybe they could catch a glimpse of God's love. I think he was betting on this, that if they can see how much God loves them, I think they'll reciprocate that love back to him. Uh, Think about your little circle of people you love. Tell me if you don't have somebody in your circle that's just like this. There's somebody in your world that loved you first. They relentlessly loved you. They loved you in such a way that you felt it. They loved you in such a way that you saw it. They loved you in such a way that you were convinced of it. And you saw, it's safe for me to love them back. And you loved them back. I think Paul is hoping that somehow if they can catch a glimpse of God's love, they'll reciprocate that love. And I think John in 1 John may confirm that because he said to a group of Christians one time, we love God because he first loved us. I told you last week, I'm not there. I haven't arrived. You know, there are times I flirt with loving God more than anybody and anything, times I drift. I'll tell you one of the things that kind of has been a snag to me. Randy, I've always found it difficult To accept the fact that God loves me. I, I have found it almost unbelievable at times. You say, why would that be? Well, there are a lot of factors that play into that. I'm, I'm going to give you one. When I was a kid, I had one adult in my world that claimed to be a Christian. That was my grandpa. And I think my grandpa was a committed Christian, but he made a terrible, terrible mistake. Grandpa tried to mix religion in with a relationship with Christ. That is a terrible mistake because religion will always trump the relationship and take over. My grandpa was an angry man. He was a judgmental person. He was a condemning person. When he would talk about somebody going to hell, he almost talked about expressed joy in what he would say. My grandpa's God was an angry judge. Guys, I'll be honest with you. He's the only God I was aware of when I was a boy. 
So when I got saved, I felt I had entrusted my life and my future to an angry judge who was just looking for some reason to prosecute me. Hard to love a God like that. So I had to do a lot of study, reading, examination of the scriptures to find out how God loved me. Let me tell you what I learned. God's always loved me. I found verses in the Bible that taught me that God loved me before he ever created the world. You go, are you kidding? You get in. Yeah, I'm serious. You say, how could God have done that? Remember, listen, he's a God of infinite knowledge. He knows as much about tomorrow as he knows about yesterday. And he knew that I would be, and before I was born, before I was even conceived in my mother's womb, God had already set his affection upon me. He already loved me. You know how much he loved me? When I was being held captive by the devil, sin, and I guess even to an extent the law, God wanted me to be free. You know what the ransom price for my freedom was? The life of his one and only son, Jesus. A son that had never offended him in any way. The enemy, sin, the law said, we'll set him free. Give us your son. God said, I love Ronnie enough that I'll pay that price. He gave his son for me. You know how God loves me? Unconditionally. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, God loved us when we were yet sinners. Here's, here's the deal, Brittany. When God wasn't a thought in my mind. When I didn't want him anywhere around me. When everything I did offended him. He loved me as much then as he does now on my best day. Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You can't do something so rotten, so low, so horrific today that God doesn't love you the same tomorrow. You know how long he's going to love me? All my life. David said in the 23rd Psalm, Surely goodness and his unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And then when I die, guess what? He just keeps on loving me. The psalmist said in Psalm 136, and he said it 26 times for emphasis, God's faithful love endures forever. And guess what? Uh, the way God loves me, that's the way God loves you. Man, it's easy to love a loving, doting heavenly father. Fourth thing, you ready? We're going to wrap it up. Uh, to love God supremely, we must guard our hearts. One of the easiest things in the world for, a, for humans to do is to give God's place in their heart to something. To give God's place in their heart to something. God created a world full of things He wants us to enjoy. Let's call them his gifts. We humans have to be careful not to put those gifts in God's place. We have to be careful not to love the gifts more than the giver. You know what you call it when you put something in, in God's place? 
1 John chapter 5, John said, keep away from anything that could take God's place in your heart. Other translations say this, keep yourself from idols. When we put something in God's place in our heart, we've really committed the sin of idolatry. And I think you remember the first commandment when, when God said, Moses, write this down. Number one, don't have any God but me. Number one, don't have any God but me. You know the problem with putting something in God's place in your heart? Jesus said this, you can't possibly serve two masters. You can't have two gods, let alone 35 gods. You can't possibly do that because you're going to love one and hate the other. The minute you allow something to take God's place in your heart, it will dilute your love for God and eventually root out your love for God. So here's the deal. We've got to guard our heart. We can't let that happen. And the first step might be before we guard the heart, we might ought to search our heart and make sure it hasn't happened. Have you allowed something? And this could, be, this could be short-circuiting the whole loving God supremely process. Is there something in your world that you love more than God? You say, how would I know? Listen to your words. We learned this last week. Love can't be silent. What do you talk about? I'm going to tell you, if God's in that place, the central place of affection in your life, you're going to be talking about him. Whatever you're talking about, it's there. Survey your thoughts. What do you think about? Man, we think about the things that we love. How often is God just, just is the center of your thoughts? Follow the money. Nobody likes to hear this one, but I'm telling you, I'm quoting from an expert. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there's your, there, your heart's there. Whatever's easy for you to throw money at, might just be a God. If you search your heart and see that you've allowed something to take God's place there, guess what we need to do? We need some work on the heart. We need to evict some things and put God back in his rightful place. Um... God wants us to love him supremely. I think I've shared with you four really good practical steps that if taken are going to get us there. But I think to apply this, we're going, we need one thing, guys. We need one thing. We need to be serious about this. You can look at what Jesus said. He said, hey, love God, love people. You can look at it like this. Is that all, is that all he wants? Make sure you understand this. It's what he wants. Jesus didn't say, let me give you two wonderful suggestions. Or, hey, I got two really good ideas. I'm going to give you some of the best advice you've ever been given. He said, I'm going to give you two commands. They're the two most important commands. I'm commanding you to love me supremely and love others selflessly. So my prayer is this won't be just another sermon that we listen to and go, hey, he said that about the Lego man, you know. No. I want us to take this seriously. I want us to pursue God. The way he's always pursued us. Let's pray together.
Father, help us love you the way that you want and the way you deserve. Help us make any changes necessary, any adjustments necessary. But we're set on course to do that. And then God, help us love others with your selfless love. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You're dismissed.